From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. I'm passionate about the idea that food should uh, not just nurture you know, our body, but should connect us with the land where the ingredients are from. The food should respect and value the techniques of the farmers that are growing those ingredients. And the food should also highlight the creativity and the skills of the cooks that are transforming these ingredients. In this little country, we have so many examples of everything that actually makes sense about food. This week on the show, Maria Calasare of Piccoli Dolci, sharing her passion for regional Italian cuisine. And she's sharing a recipe. That's just ahead. Stay with us. I'll never forget the day, back in 2009, when my friend and neighbor Anne brought me a gift. It was a cellophane bag with an attractive paper label with the words piccoli dolci spelled out in stylish artsy letters. The bag was filled with adorable round shortbread cookies, about a half inch thick, dotted with currants or small raisins. Anne tells me they're made here in town, it's a new business, She wanted me to try them. The cookies were perfect. Buttery, fresh, with a soft crunch, an excellent flavor. Over the years, I'd run across these lovely bags of cookies at Blooming Foods, and then I started seeing piccoli dolci at the Winter Farmer's Market when it was still held at Harmony School. I knew that the owner baked at the Bloomington Cooking School's commercial kitchen for years. And I was thrilled to see that her business had survived the COVID shutdowns when I saw her baking at One World Kitchen Chair after the cooking school closed its doors in 2020. In October, we finally made it happen. I met Maria Calasare, the owner of Piccoli Dolci, out at One World Kitchen Chair, where she had recently moved into a more fixed kitchen space. Instead of renting space by the hour, she had an arrangement for an established kitchen setup. We met at the kitchen so she could share a recipe with us. Keep in mind, this is a large warehouse space with a lot going on, and it can get pretty loud at times. So bear with us. My name is Maria, Maria Carlasare. I come from Italy, and I live in Bloomington, where I started an Italian food business in uh, 2011. And it's a business that specializes in uh, Italian uh, authentic traditional recipes and foods and uh, in particular we like and we are trying to bring to Bloomington as many examples as we can of the vast diversity of regional recipes in Italy and so we we do the classic um, but we also do very specific recipes that represent specific areas in Italy and they're kind of unique We're a small business. We do everything from scratch. And at the moment, we don't have a store. We sell at the farmers, at the Woolen Farmers Market. And we wholesale in various locally owned coffee shops and blooming foods. But we also do home deliveries on Saturday morning. You pre-order, prepay, and you, you, you can get an Italian authentic lunch on Saturday. In fact, the name of the business is Piccoli Dolci. So piccoli dolci means uh, little sweets. Piccoli is little, dolci is sweets. When I started in 2011, 
it was actually just me doing uh, basically six kinds of Italian cookies from different regions in Italy. So it was Cantucci, Crumiri, so Cantucci from Toscana, Crumiri from the Northwest, uh, Zaiti from Venice, and then some uh, classic uh, Novellini and other cocoa cookies. So this is how I started. Then uh, over time I grew and I think, you know, I have to say when COVID hit, when we went into lockdown, I uh, kind of had to think something different. And in order to survive, I started actually cooking some traditional Italian lunch items, and in particular, uh, lasagna, different kinds of gnocchi, and other baked pasta from different regions. And we were home delivering during lockdown, and then we started actually growing a larger repertoire of savory things. So now piccoli dolci is not just sweets, but it's I say Italian specialties in general, and that's that's basically what what we do now. Uh, So you're going to share a recipe with us today. What are we going to make today? So today we're making a classic crema pasticcera, pastry cream. And actually, I brought here a book. (laughs) Book is was published, self-published in uh, uh, 1891 by Pellegrino Artusi. It's the book that is still a bestseller in the (laughs) bookstores in Italy. And it collects all the recipes from, uh, not all the recipes, it collects more than 750 recipes from all over Italy. This person, Pellegrino Artusi, was not a chef. He was a businessman, but clearly he was passionate passionate about food. And with his helper, La Marietta, he tested all the recipes and uh, wrote a book that actually nobody wanted to publish at the beginning. But anyhow, it's, it's a classic of the Italian uh, repertoire. And it's called uh, La Scienza in Cucina, L'Arte di Mangiare Bene. That means uh, the science of cooking, the art of eating well. And this is a practical manual for families. So this is not written for professionals. It's written for every one of us that want to cook something beautiful in their kitchen. And here, actually, at recipe number 655, there's the recipe of, piece of pastry cream. It's so similar to the one that I use that I wanted to actually <laughs> show you that. This is kind of a very, very classic recipe. Of course, there are many variations now of pastry cream. This is just the beginning of what pastry cream, a pastry cream recipe could be, but there's room for creativity and uh, many other variations. But today we're going to do the super classic. Professional books were too difficult and nobody could understand anything about what the real cooks, the real chefs would write. And so he personally took the challenge of writing something that everybody could understand. <laughs> so, but it's, it's you know, uh, Italy was unified in 1861. This is 1890, roughly. So this is an important book also because it unifies the food culture of Italy. It, it kind of clustered all together from south to north. Because the truth is that, you know, Italy, and I have here a map because I want to show you. When she says she has a map, she's not talking about some Google map she pulled up on her phone. It's a big paper wall map, like you might have in your Italian language classroom. And she has it draped over one of the stainless steel workbenches in the commissary kitchen. So this is, you know, Italy. It's, it's a small country. Say that from the Alps north 
to Sicily is probably 650 miles. So like I was checking uh, in Google map, it's like going from uh, Bloomington to uh, Washington, D.C. That's the length of the boot. But there are so many different climatic regions uh, that actually create so many different, with the history and the different traditions, there are so many traditional recipes that use different ingredients in different ways that literally, you know, driving uh, through Italy every 30 miles, there is a different recipe, a different shape, a different touch to any any kind of recipe that you, you can put on the table. So because we go from the Alps, there's north, so there are like, you know, Alpine recipes. There's the the Pianura Padana, so the Pau Valley that is rich in soil, that where, uh, for example, Parmigiano Reggiano comes from. The center is more marginal areas. There's more sheep milk, for example, than cow milk. So the Pecorino Romano, for example. Never mind the banging in the background. Megan on the baking team is pounding butter for puff pastry dough. Hopefully you can still hear what Maria is saying. Here in the center, it's a more common uh, cheese. And then we go to the south. Of course, we have also the coasts, you know, all the food from, from that used fish. But in the south, uh, we have all the citrus parts, the nuts, like marzapane. They grow figs there. So every climatic region gives us a list of ingredients that are uh, used as a matter of fact, we, um, I'm trying to represent this diversity also because I, I'm, I'm passionate about the idea that food should uh, not just nurture you know, our body, but should connect us with the land where the ingredients are from. The food should respect and value the techniques of the farmers that are growing those ingredients. And the food should also highlight the creativity and the skills of the cooks that are transforming these ingredients. And, and in this little country, we have so many examples of everything that actually makes sense about food. Food represents, uh, you know, culture, history, climatic areas, and it's all put together in the dish that you're eating at your table. When you connect the, the, the food with the land, it immediately appears clear that, of course, you, you are eating marzapane in, in Sicily and you would eat, uh, you know, a hazelnut spread in Piemonte where they have hazelnut crops right. and chocolate, by the way. And most of us in the States don't really know that much about all the different regions of Italy. Like, we just think... Italian food, and we don't realize yeah. there's all these regions yes, in that, such a small that's country. Why, I mean, I, I, I kind of like to, to show that there's diversity, and this diversity makes so much sense. I mean, I can't do everything because it's, it's hard to find, you know, the certain ingredients, but I, I do try to use as much as I can the authentic ingredients. So, for example, for our savory dishes, we only use Parmigiano Reggiano, the real one, not Parmesan. Mm-hmm. We use Pecorino Romano. 
we use gorgonzola, sweet gorgonzola that comes from gorgonzola. It's a town actually in Lombardy near Milano. We do have Rekla Speck from the Alps. We have semolina flower uh, from Italy for certain kind of gnocchi. I really, as much as I used some cavallo from south of Italy in the past. So I'm trying to really get as much as I can from Italy to really represent the kitchen in Italy. I, I mean, you will not have a fettuccine all'alfredo from me because that's a translation of some, you know, Italian dish that came to the United States and were re-elaborated, delicious, but not the real Italian pasta. It, it's delicious, but it's not what you will find when you travel to Italy. Could you clarify the distinction between the Parmesan that you just mentioned? Yeah, so Parmigiano-Reggiano, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a cheese that it pr- it's produced according to uh, specific procedures that are actually certified by, uh, I believe, the European Union. So producers of uh, Parmigiano-Reggiano and farmers that provide the milk for the cheese need to follow a pretty long series of rules. Like, for example, in the diet of the cows, you need to have a pretty high percentage of hay or grass. cannot be only corn and soybean, for example. So there, there are rules at every step, the production. And the seal that you see in the outer part of the big uh, wheel certified that actually the cheese was produced with that kind of milk according to those specific procedures. I believe the Parmesan in America doesn't have the same uh, strict rules. And honestly, if you try a piece of Parmigiano-Reggiano and a piece of Parmesan, you will immediately notice the difference. So... But we can get it here. We just have to make sure it says. You need to check the outer part of your piece and it needs to have the seal and the writing Parmigiano-Reggiano in little dots. If it doesn't have that, mm, it might be something else. But it it should be actually written. And there's so so many cheeses and products in Italy have this certification that that really guarantee to the customer that it, it is produced, by the way, in a certain area of Italy. So, for example, Parmigiano-Reggiano, only between uh, Parma and Reggio Emilia. Parmigiano-Reggiano are two towns in Emilia-Romagna. So the milk collected for the cheese needs to come only from those areas close to those towns. You can't do Parmigiano-Reggiano in south of Italy, for example. (laughs) You know, I knew that you did a lot of cooking from different regions of Italy, and I just thought that it was mostly baking, like mostly sweets. Well, and I, 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 you know, even it's it's kind of easier with the savory, honestly, but even the sweets have a regional, we have a lot of regional recipes. It's harder for me to bring it here for, uh, to Bloomington because there's so there are so many specific recipes that maybe cannot, I mean, it's hard to communicate this, the unique uh, aspect of it if you're if you don't know the the tradition uh the, the the baked good comes from so but for example when i started with the cookies i i did select different kind of cookies for example the cantucci come from tuscany 
The Krumiri, which is kind of a crud cookie, they come from uh, the Piemonte region. And there's a story there. There's a chef that invented them. It's, uh, it's just a unique combination of proportion of the same classic ingredients uh, in pastry. So eggs, sugar, butter. But there's a specific uh, uh, shape and a specific texture that makes the cookie unique. The Zaeti are from the Venetian region. And as a matter of fact, Zaeti means yellowish. It's a dialect word. Giallo is yellow in Italian, and Zaito means colored in, in yellow. It, there are a lot of yolks there, and there's corn flour, so hence they, they look kind of yellowish. But that's another regional recipes that you will not find in Rome or you will not find in south of Italy. So those are perfect examples of regional sweets. Speaking of regional sweets, after a short break, Maria Calasari of Piccoli Dolci will walk us through her recipe for Italian pastry cream. Stay with us. Kate Young here. This is Earth Eats. We're back in the kitchen with Maria Calasare of Piccoli Dolci, who is about to share a recipe with us. Here we go. We're doing uh, crema pasticcera, pastry cream, from uh, Pellegrino Artusi, The Art of Eating Well, recipe number 655. It's a pretty simple recipe. There are only f- two notes, two things uh, people need to be careful of. So I am measuring half a liter of milk, four yolks, some sugar and cornstarch, a pinch of salt, and we can choose which aromas, which flavor we wanna give to the pastry cream. So, of course, Pellegrino Artusi says, odore di vaniglia, odor of uh, vanilla odor. We are doing actually, we're definitely adding vanilla paste to the milk. We're also adding a little piece of lemon zest. And to make it a little bit more interesting, I'm gonna use uh, three beans of coffee medium roast, adding to the milk. I'm gonna add one, one tiny, tiny piece of cinnamon stick. Very little because the cinnamon otherwise will be too powerful. Just, you know, less than an inch long cinnamon stick. And uh, yes, here we go. We have cloves. I'm gonna add just one of them. Here we go, in the milk. Very subtle. <laughs> yes, and some lemon zest. Maybe two, three pieces. It's only half a liter, so doesn't need much. Okay, so we need to bring this milk to sub-boil. I'm gonna put this on the stove. And let it warm up and check it every once in a while. While the milk is going, we are separating our eggs. So we said four yolks. You're so fast. Done this many times. <laughs> and four. Okay. We are now adding to the yolks the sugar. 
I need roughly 80 grams of sugar. And as soon as I pour the sugar on top of the yolks, I have to mix immediately. Otherwise, the yolks can become grainy. So this is a trick that everybody should know. So we, we dissolve the sugar and the yolks. And then the last ingredient that we need is the cornstarch. So today we're using cornstarch, but the truth is that we could use flour, wheat flour. We could use rice flour. This is just to thicken the cream. Otherwise it will be kind of a creme anglaise thing. Mm -hmm. The cornstarch is, uh, uh, compared to, to the wheat flour, is a little bit more gelatinous, but, it, but the pastry cream holds a little bit better. So mm -hmm. I use cornstarch more than flour because uh, when I have to build a cake, it stays in the cake, it stays yeah. inside. So I have 40, 45 grams of cornstarch that I will mix with the yolks. Gradually incorporating and I'm forming kind of a thick paste at the moment. Uh, we're adding a pinch of salt to it and then we add the vanilla paste here but actually if you have a vanilla bean you could put it with the milk and will kind of uh, the, the flavor will stay in in the liquid of the milk. I'm gonna stir the milk going well it's starting to warm up and the vanilla paste is here of course more vanilla paste you put the better tablespoon or a little bit less of that for what what we're doing today mixing in okay so now we have to wait the temperature of the milk is not high enough as a matter of fact we could pour the yolk mixture in the milk now but we want also the flavor of the lemon and all the things we put in the milk to actually set longer. Mm -hmm. And so we need to wait a little bit, probably five minutes. What I can do now is pour some of the milk into this thick paste just to temper it and uh, to help me when I have to mix and put everything together. And so the tempering is just so it doesn't cook the egg. Right and away, it makes it, yeah, and it makes it faster also to and and smoother uh, when I actually mix everything together. Whereby it will be too sticky, too dense, but it, it's not strictly necessary. But it's very helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think now we only have to wait a little bit. So I don't, I'm not familiar with vanilla bean paste. Well, yeah, it's, it's basically they scrape the inside of the beans, they collect everything, and then they put it in a kind of a sugary, pasty, basically just cane sugar, water, a little bit of water, and, and vanilla. But you would use that instead of the liquid extract? You can use vanilla extract. Ah, we really, really like this better than vanilla extract. It's more powerful mm -hmm. in terms of vanilla flavor, so... We, our, our cornetto are with the vanilla paste. I use vanilla extract in other recipes where, where I don't need uh, this much the vanilla flavor, but with pastry cream, uh, it is very important. Okay, the milk is almost there. Another way of flavoring it 
could be, for example, with fresh bay leaves and vanilla. It gives kind of a fresh herby flavor that is super interesting. And I bet, you know, you can do it with tea. You can really be creative with the flavor that you're giving to the milk and the hence to the pastry cream if you want to kind of make it more your your pastry cream and not the classic. Mm-hmm. And so you just infuse whatever it is yes, that you want exactly. in, in the, the milk. milk. In the milk. And if you want to do a chocolate pastry cream, you add the chocolate when the pastry cream is done. It's still hot and you melt chocolate and you can add a little bit of butter and a little bit of cream also to it. So you can actually transform the pastry cream into something else once it's done. So there's a lot of potential in this simple recipe. You can use pastry cream as is. You can use it as a filling. You can... uh, enrich the pastry cream and, as I said, create another recipe. So it could be the base for something else. It could go in a cake. It goes in our cornetto, which are the Italian croissant. It goes in our fruit tarts with fresh fruit. It could go with a chocolate ganache on top. million ways of enjoying pastry cream. Here, it's moving, so I'm going to go. Before I actually put the yolk mixture in the milk, I remove the pieces. I'm adding the yolk mixture with the sugar and the cornstarch to the pot with the milk. I'm stirring. It will thicken. It's already thickening at the bottom. So with the spatula, I scrape the bottom. I keep my bottom clean. And with the whisk, I whisk. So I cut the lumps so that in the end it will be smooth. It's already thickening, and it's already kind of boiling. And you're keeping it on the heat? Keeping it on the heat. This is, again, I said this is cornstarch. It's super fast. If you do it with flour, with wheat flour, you will have to cook it for at least uh, seven, eight minutes to get rid of that flour flavor. And But with cornstarch, and it's not much cornstarch, it, it's pretty quick. So as a matter of fact, I turn, I'm turning off now. It's hot, we're gonna go on the table. Voila. And then usually to chill it, we pour it on a tray. Here. All right, so this is good warm but you could also cover it with a plastic film and chill it and eat it later when it's cold. You could add some whipped cream to it to make it a little bit lighter in texture. Like mix it in. Mix it in, yes, when, when it's cold though, not now when it's super mm-hmm. hot. And it could go in a cup with maybe a cookie. It really smells great. And all the little dots are the vanilla beans. The little tiny dots mm-hmm. are the real vanilla beans. So let's take a quick break while she gathers a few examples of her Italian cookies for us to use to sample the pastry cream. We'll be back with more from Maria Carasare of Piccoli Dolci. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Earth Eats. I'm Kate Young, and we're back with Maria Carasare of Piccoli Dolci, which translates from Italian to Little Sweets. 
Maria has some of her freshly made pastry cream in a small dish with five different Italian cookies arranged yeah. around the so edge. This, this is a crumiri from northwest of Italy. This is a nocciolini cookie, which is made with hazelnut flour. It's a rich shortbread from, uh, again, a recipe from the north. I am honestly from north of Italy, and I know north of Italy better than the south. <laughs> so for a number of reasons, there are more uh, recipes from the north. But I, I keep doing research, and I have a lot of books, and we have also some recipes from the south. This is the cantucci with almonds. Cantucci is what here in the United States is better known as biscotti. But cantucci is the name of that kind of biscotto. In fact, biscotti means uh, cooked twice. Bis is twice, and cotti means cooked. And so in Italy, actually, biscotti means it's a generic term in Italian for cookies. So all these are cookies, are biscotti for us. And what here in the United States is biscotti is the cantucci. That's the authentic okay. from Tuscany. We have lingua di gatto, cat tongs, for the shape, like a little tongue. And then, Those look so good to me. <laughs> I love that kind these of These are cookie. excellent with, uh, they're so simple. They're like vanilla, crunchy little bites and excellent with ice cream also and coffee and tea and by themselves also. And this is a sfogliatina cookie. Uh, it's a puff pastry cookie glazed on top with a thin, thin layer of sugar and then decorated with stripes of uh, apricot preserved. So this is crunchy and flaky. So here we have the same four classic ingredients, eggs, butter, sugar, and flour combined in different ways with different processes that create four or five cookies that are totally different. You know, sometimes customers ask me, oh, what's the flavor of this? Well, you know, the ingredients more or less, except adding some nuts or maybe cocoa powder, but the ingredients in pastry very often are always the same, but the way you work them, you transform them is what makes the cookie or the cake special. And so each and the shape- the texture, all those textures exactly, are totally these are, different. These are different shapes, different textures, but the ingredients are always the same. Wow. And is this the one you were saying has the story behind it with the shape? Uh, the shape, yeah, this is the crumiri. The crumiri is a cookie was born in 1878, actually when the first king of Italy died. And so the shape, this crooked shape, they say, you know, the legend says, that wants to uh, recall the shape of the mustache of the king. And it, it's the creation of a pastry chef that uh, actually worked and lived in the same region where the king was. So history says that was it to honor first king of Italy, oh, Vittorio okay. Emanuele II. Okay. I was hoping you were going to say it was, you know, to mock the king. But you're uh, saying it's well, to probably, honor. Probably, you know, to kind of... Uh... <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> okay, well, that's great. Let's give it okay. a try. Yeah. Try this crunchy one, maybe. <gasps> that one's so beautiful. There's I don't even want to eat it. It's so light. Yes. <laughs> and this one, too, actually. It's like, they're all pretty light. Mm. The cookie is so perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like puff pastry with a yeah, with a special glaze on it, right. and the glaze is almost 
I don't want to say meringue, but it has kind of a... It's, it's crunchy. I mean, it goes in the oven for quite a bit of time. It's so thin that it creates this crunchy sugary layer. There's no sugar in the yeah, puff it's like pastry. A, it's like a shell. Yeah, exactly. There's no sugar in the puff pastry, okay? So the only sugar is this millimetric glaze, which yeah. is also one of the characteristics of, I think, all the cookies that we do. They're not... They are sweet, but they're not overwhelmingly sweet. And and that is so important. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> to, I agree. To really bring up the real flavors. Sometimes sugar, too much sugar tends to go over everything. And we don't want to do that. Yeah, because you're you're highlighting the textures and the flavors exactly. over the just the sweetness. Exactly. Plus, it allows for you to, you know, dip it into something like this or yeah. With some exactly. coffee or what you know something, and it allows you to you know eat a little bit you know more than one mm-hmm. <laughs> without feeling too guilty. I guess you know we roll the puff pastry at two millimeter, so it's two millimeter thick, plus maybe half millimeter of glaze, and then we pipe thin lines of apricot preserve on top, and that is how it goes in the oven and becomes uh, almost one inch thick. Because it puffs up. I cut the cookie before it goes into the oven. So mm-hmm. I have little strips that are going in the oven. There are two and something millimeters thick, basically. Uh-huh, I, I like know. simplicity. And, you know, in, in pastry sometimes with, with very few ingredients, you can do exceptionally, exceptional things. Mm-hmm. Next, it was the lingua di gatto, or cat's tongue. Of course, I love the name, too. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Again, it's it's kind of crunchy, vanillish. This one, you should next. You should try this one that has the hazelnut flour in it. Yeah, it's this one like, is really vanilla. Yes. And the yeah, it's so hard to describe these textures because it's it does have a thin little it's crunch a on the outside, crunchy inside, and then the th- the thin you know outer layer. It's a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. So I think pastry cream okay. doesn't have butter in it, but it matches. I mean, it goes really well with buttery things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a croissant with pastry cream, a cornetto with pastry cream is a, the perfect match. Or a rich shortbread with hazelnut and a simple light pastry cream. Again, a match that it's hard to beat. To just try to taste the pastry cream by itself. Because <laughs> I'm getting distracted by the cookie. Right. <laughs> oh, the pastry cream is so good, though. It's just got so much. Such a complex flavor with those bean, coffee beans and the vanilla and the lemon and a touch of uh, clove and cinnamon. Yeah. And it is. It's just like a like it's a pudding. You could just eat it in a dish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Warm, like you said. Absolutely. Okay. So you're saying I should try this one? because Yeah. This is a rich shortbread with hazelnut flour and almond flour. Also very light and not sweet. Right. But and those nutty flavors. Yeah, the nuts are the dominant oh, oh gosh, part of this so cookie. Good. These are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this cookie has vanilla extract in it, the cantucci, and uh, a touch of nutmeg that makes it really, really good. Mm. Yeah. Again, it's it, those details are very important in a simple cookie. They make the difference. Yeah, I really love pecans, but tasting that mm. reminds mm-hmm. me of how incredible hazelnuts <laughs> are. They're so good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. What a treat. 
Mm. So when I think of pastry cream, I think of fruit tarts. Yeah. So our fresh fruit tarts, yeah, right? Yes, they we make them mostly in the summer when uh, you know strawberries are so. So the crust is a classic Italian shortbread. It's called Milanese, and again, it's a shortbread with a lot of yolks in it and less eggs. So the egg whites part of the egg is not in in that recipe, and that's why it's so good, so flavorful. So that's the bottom, you know, the crust, the shell of our tarts. Then there is a layer of vanilla pastry cream. Only vanilla. Keep it simple. You don't Maybe get too a little fancy. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't add the coffee and the other spices. I, I do that usually when I'm serving just a little cup of pastry cream with maybe a simple cookie, and then there's just fresh fruit on top. Again, it's a super simple layering of ingredients, but the combination is perfect. Fresh. Light and then do cream. you put like a glaze or anything? Uh, I don't fruit? because we do them for the farmer's market and we sell them immediately. And they go, the glaze would be uh, to preserve uh, the fruit uh, longer, like um, maybe for mm, the day. The yeah, to make day. sure it still looks glossy. and all Exactly. That. Yeah. But the glaze is also adding sweet stuff. So we don't want that. We're trying to keep it as, you know, we, we need, we're doing a tart. It's sweet, but we don't want to have it too sweet. After the tasting session, we sat down in the conference room at One World to talk a bit more about Maria's background and the history and future of Piccoli Dolci. Maria is from northern Italy, Padua, about 20 minutes from Venice. I asked her to share the story of how she got into cooking and baking. Right, that's that's kind of a story. I don't have a culinary background. Like my education is actually in agricultural science. And so after my bachelor's degree in Padova, I actually did grad school at Penn State University. I did a master of science. And I was working <laughs> on a very applied research about grazing management. And then I did a doctorate degree also in Italy when we came, when we went back. I kept going back and forth. But I, when I chose uh, agricultural science uh, for my uh, education, uh, and when I chose actually to do, <laughs> to actually uh, work in the food business, the reason was the same. So I'm passionate about food. I, I like to eat. I like interesting food. And I, w- I wanted, first I wanted to know how food is produced. And uh, I was interested in sustainable agriculture. And that's why I ended up, you know, collecting grass <laughs> in a field for my research. And life is complicated. But at the end, the end of the story is that at a certain point, I was actually unemployed in Italy. And I decided to take a basic pastry class that was part of a program founded by the European Union at that time to actually educate people on artisanal skills. And so cooking was one of them. So we were actually paid something like three euros per hour to learn. And it was the first time that I saw, you know, a big mixer, a commercial kitchen. And then I did my internship in Florence in a chocolateria. And then I went back 
uh, to my hometown and I worked for an ice cream place and I was actually decorating their ice cream cakes. It was a lot of fun. And then in between kids, I worked with a, with a friend on some catering and then we flew to Bloomington in 2009. My husband is working at the university and so that's why we came here. And here... I first honestly tried to find a job <laughs> and some um, restaurant or bakery here, but didn't work out immediately. So I decided to do an experiment and start a tiny nano business doing just six kinds of cookies from Italy. And that's how everything started. And when you started, it was in the Bloomington Cooking School, right? That's where you first right. were cooking. I had to, to thank Jen Bula Baker for, from the Bloomington Cooking School. She trusted me. I met her and uh, I explained my idea about the six different cookies from different regions. She has Italian origins and she kind of liked the idea. And she gave me this opportunity and she agreed on, uh, you know, giving me some space in her kitchen. So that was the beginning. I did not want to own a business. Uh, I was just trying to show what I could do. <laughs> and I ended up actually having Piccoli Dolci. This is uh, year number 11. Hmm. And it's growing, so... Wow, it's funny to hear you say that you weren't trying to start a business because to me, from the beginning, it just seemed so professional. Your logo is beautiful and the packaging and just seeing them on the shelf in Blooming Foods was just like, oh, wow, we've got a business here with these uh, homemade I, I cookies. This is amazing. <laughs> well, the logo, I do have a friend that uh, worked on the logo with me and he's a pretty good designer. I, I like to draw, to play with paper. And so I was uh, trying to use my creativity also with the logo. But I did have a lot of help from Heinz. So did it really take off right away? Like, did you feel like the response was stronger than you expected? Uh, the response was uh, good and it, it's good, but it, I, I feel like I'm working for a very specific niche of people in Bloomington. And I know that a lot of people are used to more to the American Italian food. So the idea of having, you know, specific cookies from different regions or specific kinds of lasagna or gnocchi, it's difficult. It's not, it doesn't come uh, natural. And so I keep working for a niche that sustains me. I mean, I'm serving such a small percentage of people in Bloomington, but they are persons interested in the cultural aspect also of the recipe, not just the food per se. If you're looking for a food that, that, that tells a story, we kind of have it and we can explain it. And at farmer's market, very often, I spend a lot of time just telling the story, the ingredients of what we have on display. It's, it's a little bit difficult at first. It's a little bit unknown. It's, it's hard to, if you don't, if you haven't been to Italy, it, of course, you don't know that there are million regions and million recipes and million shapes of pasta and million kinds of gnocchi. How can you know? But that's, that's what we want to tell to people. And, and it makes the food so meaningful also from, you know, the psychological point of view, not just food is not just, you know, a source of nutrients. I feel like there's an aesthetic value as well because all of your 
pastries anyway was what I've mostly seen. They're just all very beautiful and distinct. And, you know, like you were showing the different shapes, the different textures. Yeah, yeah we, we do want to highlight the artisanal part of making food and transforming these ingredients. It's so important. It is a show of the creativity of the cook. Piccoli Dolce had been focused on sweets and bakery items, selling wholesale to Blooming Foods and face-to-face at farmer's markets. But during the pandemic shutdowns, she started offering savory dishes, Italian lunches, available to pre-order for a Saturday delivery. Our customers were excited to try the new recipes. It was, uh, I hope, a good moment of the week to receive a new recipe artisanally made from scratch, small batches uh, with, you know, unique ingredients. So it was a moment of fun. And uh, at that time, uh, we know nobody could go to restaurants. So it was a good way to reach people through food. What kinds of dishes did you make? Well, we, every weekend, and we are doing this now also, we have at least one kind of lasagna, one kind of gnocchi, and maybe something else. The menu rotates uh, every week. I can make some examples. Lasagna alla parmigiana. So this is a more southern Italian dish where the eggplants, usually they're either fried, we roast them to keep them a little bit lighter. And they're with, uh, the lasagna is with layers of eggplants, mozzarella, cheese, fior di latte. And then uh, we top it with a tomato, fresh basil, pesto sauce. So this is kind of a summer dish, southern Italian uh, origin. If we want to go to the north, we have, uh, for example, the pizzoccheri. Pizzoccheri, it's a buckwheat pasta from a region, Valtellina region in the Alps. And guess what? They do grow buckwheat there. (laughs) So they cook with buckwheat. And so it's a short pasta. It's a little bit larger than uh, tagliatelle. It's definitely shorter. It's like uh, three inches. And you cook this pasta and then you bake it. Bake it. You put it in the oven layer with fontina cheese. Fontina is another important cheese of north of Italy. Delicious. That melts through the layers of the pasta and the greens. It's a baked pasta with, in the winter, it's with cabbage, kale, spinach. We do have a summer version of it with other vegetables. It's a dish made with the ingredients originally you know, grown in that land and uh, transformed by the cooks of that land, according to the tradition, using a cheese from that region. And so you've continued doing that? Yes, and we continue doing research on that. I was recently going through a book of gnocchi. Gnocchi is not just potato gnocchi. There are so many different kinds of gnocchi. Our most popular ones so far are the carrot gnocchi, for example, or the spinach gnocchi that are made with ricotta cheese and the carrot or spinach, and parmigiano, reggiano, and a few eggs to keep them together. But they're not the classic potato gnocchi. We're probably going in the winter to do some squash gnocchi and probably match them with some porcini mushroom. There's a lot of research that we keep doing and we we try to select what, what is feasible here in Bloomington and what we think is really, really interesting. And we'll keep doing that. Piccoli Dolce has never had a shop or a storefront. But this year, for November and December, they're setting up a pop-up shop. It's in Williamsburg Center on Pete Ellis Drive, close to Needmore Coffee. We will have our holiday treats 
will have some special panettone Christmas cake that we are bringing from south of Italy. It's a small artisanal production from a friend from Calabria with their regional lemons and figs and the Chocolata di Modica. So it's an exceptional product that we want to offer in addition to all our holiday cookies and Kringles and specialties. Honestly, I don't know the hours yet, but definitely during the weekend, we'll be open for customers to actually to find us. Can you describe what a panettone cake is like? Oh, panettone is uh, like a big uh, <laughs> brioche buttery bread, let's call it. Panettone means big bread, but it's very light and buttery and it can have either chocolate in it or it can come with the traditional version is with raisins and the candied fruit. We actually will have a pistachio version because the region they come from has also pistachio, so it will co- will be covered with pistachio. So there are many kinds of panettone. It's uh, a cake that in Italy we eat all December until the end of, uh, you know, the Christmas, end of the year celebrations. And it's, it's, uh, it could go really well with pastry cream, honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> the pastry cream that we made. It also seems like it keeps pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's a, it takes uh, 48, 52 hours to finish a panettone. It's a very long process with multiple proofing periods. And it lasts for, honestly, if it's kept in a, in a bag, you know, closed, it, lasts, it can last for uh, months. And what are some of the other holiday treats that you make? We have a assortment of holiday cookies that are a little bit richer than the cookies that we tried before. So they're like a vanilla sablé, chocolate sablé. We have a special kind of truffle we have in mind. Then we do our Christmas kringles. Of course, you can order some cakes. We have uh, meringues that we're doing. We have uh, some uh, special tarts that we do during the holiday season. They don't have a name, honestly, (laughs) but they have special fillings and usually two layers, two different layers uh, uh, per tart. And those are things that we do only during the holidays. It's kind of a special treat. I like to share my passion of food with my customers, and that's a a source of energy for me, you know, when I see that someone else is passionate about food, it's it's a joy. That was Maria Calasare of Piccoli Dolci, sharing her passion for Italian food with the people of Bloomington since 2011. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Find more, including her recipe for Italian pastry cream, on our website, eartheats.org. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young with help from Aabon Binder, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Toby Foster, Abraham Hill, Peyton Whaley, reporters at Harvest Public Media, and me, Daniela Richardson. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from artists at Universal Production Music. Our executive producer is John Bailey.